Welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider, also known as Tata. Today's podcast guest is Ayla Cuenca, who is a birth educator, holistic birth guide, birth trauma alchemist, visual storyteller, and more. She uses her prenatal and postpartum guidance to really just support women all over the world with the process of becoming a mother. It starts the day you get pregnant and it continues into the rest of your life. And one thing that she really says, and I'll quote her now, is communication starts in pregnancy and really teaches you how to communicate with your family and specifically your children after birth. So she talks about how the whole process, it's not just I'm in labor, I'm in the hospital and I'm pushing right now. It is the support system you need, how communication is the number one goal. And what you're going to learn about is just tips for prevention for C-section, tearing prevention in labor, really the importance of perennial massages, and just really how to prepare, whether that's speaking with your husband, speaking with your family, making sure that your other children, if you have any, are being taken care of. And I'm excited for you all to listen, and you can follow her as well throughout her course on Uncovering Birth. Well, what I teach my doulas and and the training and mentorship that I offer is how to attune to the woman in front of her if she's the doula, right? So how do you attune to your client? How do you communicate without speech? Hmm. How are you experiencing her energy? How are you reading her body? You know, and that comes with learning where that woman is expressing her needs and how she expresses her needs. Today's Tata's tip of the week is just nonverbal communication and eye contact and how it's so important. The podcast that we talk about today with Ayla is really just focusing on communication. And of course, we've talked about it in other tips before and just on this podcast of talking with your child. But there's so much more than just verbal communication. There is eye contact. I remember day one, my parents had me shaking people's hands and looking them in the eye. And this is something that you learn to do in interviews and you learn to do when you're meeting new people, but you actually don't realize how important it is when you have a newborn, a two-year-old, someone who's 12 months old. Look your child in the eye. First of all, it shows them that you're listening to them. And whether they are speaking or just making babbling sounds and cooing sounds, you are showing them that you care what they have to say. So A, it's kind of just giving them the importance of being recognized and that they are listening. And B, it's really just nonverbal communication. Your child cannot say certain words or can't even make sounds at a certain point until they get to, let's say, six to 12 months. So their form of communication, whether it's touch, physical touch, it could be um, moving their body around, but the most important one that you can give them is eye contact. Nonverbal communication starts the day your child is born. And podcast that we have with Ayla, we really talk about just how communication starts at a very young or early stage in pregnancy, but a young age. And that's what we want to teach all of our parents. Nonverbal communication is just as important as verbal communication. I'm very excited to welcome Ayla Cuenca to our podcast today, and Ayla has lived and traveled throughout the country, Latin America, Europe, really connecting women, parents, and children through the scope of conception, birth, and parenting. You are a birth educator, a holistic birth guide, a birth trauma alchemist, and visual storyteller. You use prenatal and postpartum guidance to support women all over the world during their very special initiation of becoming a mother. No matter what part of the journey you are on and how you plan to birth, um, you really provide just clarity, reconnection, and guidance. So it seems like you really, you do it all, um, but you also train and mentor women all over the world to become certified doulas through your program, Uncovering Birth. 
So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So for those who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about your background? I actually majored in anthropology and linguistics. <laughs> linguistics. And, yeah. We love that. <laughs> um, and studied photography. So the whole the whole deal was to become an ethnographic photographer. That's wow. like what I had my heart set on. And um, things kind of deviated when I started photographing birth. But it was also really like a homecoming because I was witnessing people and documenting this like very real human initiation. You know? So you were in the room during labor or home birth, whatever it is, and you were photographing it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I had moved into that and was like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be, you know? And then that's when I started training to become a doula and then assisting births in a different way and um, became a lactation consultant. So I started working with wow. women postpartum. Um, and, you know, over the years was getting drawn to a lot of clients who had experienced um, birth trauma, you know, um, coming in as a lactation counselor. So then that's when I decided to become a birth educator and certify so that I could go to the root cause of what was causing the trauma, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and through that was when I started to see that it's really like a lack of education. So that's when I started focusing on birth education. So tell me, okay, just before we get into everything, birth trauma, does that mean they had a really hard labor the first time and they're scared or is it prior to everything? You know, it's so multidimensional. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it often means that a woman experienced something in her birth that she didn't want and felt, you know, like it created a, a trauma, either wow. physical, emotional, uh, mental, right? So mm -hmm. it's just kind of going through the motions of something that we didn't want and having to subscribe to it and participate in it, even though it doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, just, you know, maybe being gaslit. It's like, yeah, the, the which happens a lot. The common, well, at least you're alive and your baby's alive. Like, wh what more could you want? Right. Everyone's healthy. Get over it. Exactly. Yeah. And we don't, we don't give that space for the trauma to really breathe and process and right. just kind of stuff it down. So then you get pregnant again and you're like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And I think, look, I have my own health issues that I talk with a lot of doctors and sometimes, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're female, male at this point. I think that sometimes just, and I have such an appreciation for people in the medical field, but there is this, oh, I don't know, you know, you're fine. Don't worry about it. You're, you're good. You can handle the pain or you can do this. I think there's a lot of issues with that, um, yeah. which we can get into. But um, one question that I actually have is what exactly is a doula? Yeah. So a doula is really a physical and emotional support person to put it simply, you mm -hmm. know, and every doula, um, that trains to offer women support in their birth has a different gift, you know, and mm -hmm. sometimes focuses in different modalities. Like maybe she's an acupuncturist or she's a chiropractor and now she wants to hold space for birth. So she kind of comes in with these different gifts. Some women become doulas because they're really into advocacy and they want to make sure that women are getting what they need in mm -hmm. the birth space. And some come because they really understand that women feel alone. You know, there's like in our, where we live here, there's a lot of women who come from other countries and don't have family. So yeah. they really want to like, fill the gap where there's a deficit in support. But historically, doulas have always just been the women in the room. And, and in ancient Greek, it means servant, the word doula. Servant. So yeah, it's really serving the space, serving the mother. Wow. So when do you really start with these parents? Do you start a month before? Do you start, you know, when they're thinking of getting pregnant? Or is this really something you're in through beginning to end? Depends. Some clients contact me right when they find out that they're pregnant. Before they tell their husband you're, yeah. <laughs> you're getting you're the like, call. I, I called you before I told anyone. <laughs> Love um, that. And so it, it can happen then. And then we start working together throughout the pregnancy and, you know, just offering a lot of reflections, helping her build a birth team, right? Because doulas are not medical professionals. Mm -hmm. We don't diagnose. We don't deliver babies. We don't cure or treat anything. So it's really just like a, a support system. Mm -hmm. And then some women contact me like right before they're going to give birth and they are just looking for in-person support 
support for the day of and maybe some postpartum support. So it really depends. So some people would just want you for just that day. Be my support system. My husband's not enough or he needs more help. Yeah. And, you know, it works. Uh -huh. However, it's it, it would it's ideal to have a relationship, relationship that's established before the birth itself. And, Absolutely. you know, some some type of education that's mm -hmm. offered as well. Because mm -hmm. doulas don't just come into the birth space and like wave a wand and suddenly... You're good. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. So, you know, obviously you talk a lot about education. What is the uncovering birth that you are really trying to teach people? So really it's it's an invitation to come back to what you already know. So a lot of it is just peeling back layers of, you know, fear that we've acquired over the years, like watching Hollywood depictions of birth, mm -hmm. hearing family and friends stories about maybe unsavory or terrible birth experiences that they had. So it's an unpacking and then like kind of dismantling that pattern and then laying new groundwork so that you can have your own experience without the influence of everyone else's, let's say, trauma or mm -hmm. projections, you know, and so you and your partner can decide how you want it to be. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the foundation of it. And then it really is inclusive of the partner. So, you know, if you're married or it's your boyfriend or whatever it is, or maybe you're single and you're doing this with your mother because she's your support person. You know, I've had women who do IVF yep. solo and they do have someone that comes in as their support person. So this really appeals to them as well because they get the action steps on how to support the woman in this class. Whereas wow. something like hypnobirthing is really just about the mother's experience in like hypnosis and relaxation. And it doesn't really include her people. And it doesn't really educate on how would things unfold in a hospital? What happens postpartum? What are the challenges and the realities of breastfeeding? Mm -hmm. So this is like really a holistic approach to the whole to the whole process. So your program's not just for the person giving birth, but also the support system or even just doulas in general, right? It seems like you're teaching everybody. Yeah. I mean, even someone who's not planning to give birth and is like, I want to just understand this like me. process. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what, what's everyone talking about? Mm -hmm. You know, like what are my friends going through? Like where did I come from? Like how did I come into the world? You know, a lot of us have questions about yeah. how we were born. We ask our mothers and they're like, oh, it's great. You know, it's hard labor, but everything's fine. It's like, I came out in the car, so. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. So it's like, I want to know a little bit more. Like, why did I come out in the car? Like, why yeah. was it so fast? So in the class, we talk about that. You know, wow. we talk about precipitous labor, you know, fast labor or slow labor, what stalls labor. So yeah, I had an anesthesiologist in one of my classes like six years ago and he was like, this is like a mini course in obstetrics. Like you cover so much. And like, why do you feel it's necessary for everyone to like learn, learn. this? And I was like, well, now your wife feels prepared, right? Like she just had your view as an <laughs> anesthesiologist. Wow. And now she feels really empowered to walk in and be like, I understand the stages of labor. I understand what happens when my baby's born, you know. Lactation. Lactation. I can, I can make a choice different than an epidural, mm. you know, and I'll be fine. Like, wow. So do you find, just my experience working with doctors, sometimes they poo-poo, you know, this term poo-poo, but my grandma used to use it, but they really do. They kind of just brush it off. Mm -hmm. Or I am having some back pain right now, and now I'm going to see an acupuncturist. So, you know, do you find that just medical field in general is so old school? They're really, even though duels have been around forever, do you find that they just kind of don't want you in the room or are they starting to accept it more? It depends because, you know, there's an entire system in place that's like functions perfectly by their standards, you know? And so mm -hmm. when you add things that create gray areas or variables, they don't like that. And so even though doulas have always been part of the birth space, it wasn't until the 1940s that we were primarily birthing in hospitals. You know, we went from like 1% of women birthing in hospitals in like the 1890s to then in 1940, it was like 99% of women wow. nearing that anyway. Mm -hmm. And so 
doulas kind of like disappeared, you know, at the end of the 1890s, 1880s. And now they're coming back because women are seeing like, oh, I need some sort of advocacy. Mm -hmm. Like nurses are really busy. They're working with they're you know, 10 other women yeah. at the same time. Yeah. I'm all alone in the room. Men are not typically supposed to be in the birth space anyway. That's just something new that we've developed because women have been birthing alone in hospitals, whereas before they had their mother, a midwife, maybe their neighbor, like the community with mm -hmm. them. And so now that there isn't that community, we, we don't have that type of community. It just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so we recruit our husbands to hold that space, and it's actually not natural for them. Yeah. But we, we, we peg them into that. And then we have to now, that's the society we're in. So now we're kind of educating them to see right. how they can hold space. Right. Wow. But, um, yeah, I do feel that the medical system depends. Like some doctors here are really supportive of doulas and they see the value and they're like, yeah, I can't be holding her hand for Go for it. 10 yeah. hours of labor. Like, thank you. You know, and then some of them are like, what are you doing in here? You're getting in the way of like right, the move. process, right. you know? And so I've seen it all, you know, I've seen the full spectrum and it's mm -hmm. unfortunate because I think anyone who doesn't want the woman to have support is suspect. Mm-hmm. Right. What are you doing in that field if you don't want them to have support? Exactly. Right. Are you replacing somebody in the room? Are you, because, you know, obviously you have mentioned you're not the doctor, pushing out the nurse or is it just an additional support system? It's an additional support because the nurse is there to, you know, check vitals, check the amount of fluid that's going in, uh, you know, observe the woman, mm -hmm. take notes, whatever. The doula is not doing that. The doula is just there helping her with breathing, reassuring her that this process is natural. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps the woman has recently lost someone in her life. Like I've worked with women in their pregnancy, their mother passed away, for example. Mm -hmm. And so who is aware of that grief that the woman is experiencing? It's not the nurse or the doctor. Maybe mm -hmm. the doctor knows, but he or she's not in there like available to hold space for the grief. Mm -hmm. So, and the husband, you know, is also grieving. So the doula can offer that because she knows the story. And yeah. so if tears come and there's an experience, like she can reflect that and hold that for the woman. Mm -hmm. Right. I think people think, okay, you're having a baby. Yay. Happy. And you get the baby and you start crying. But I think there's so many other emotions that come with oh, it. Oh, so many. Yeah. I mean, depending on what you lived as a child, you know, that stuff can, those memories that are often suppressed can come up when mm -hmm. you see your baby for the first time, yeah. you know? Yeah. Grief and everything. I've had a lot of friends who have lost parents. And I think that's probably something that they, you know, you need to prepare yourself for when you have a child. Just yeah. all of that. So obviously communication is a very big part of my field, communicating with children, with parents. You know, do you find that communication stops when you get into the labor room just because it's like a dramatic experience? Or is that something that you really strive to just push through the entire process? Well, what I teach my doulas and in, in the training and mentorship that I offer is how to attune to the woman in front of her if she's the doula, right? So how do you attune to your client? How do you communicate without speech? Hmm. How are you experiencing her energy? How are you reading her body? You know, and that comes with learning where that woman is expressing her needs and how she expresses her needs. And are like, yeah, that's fine. I've got it. You know, it's like yeah. classic, like yeah. I can do it myself. I don't need anybody. Like I'm self-sufficient. So the doula has an opportunity to say, hey, I can help you. Whatever you need, let mm -hmm. me know. Yeah. What, are, what are your preferences here? And the woman's like, well, no one ever asked me that because I always have to take care of it myself. So the doula can now help her start to express her needs. She can have a list of all the things that the woman wants or doesn't want. And so there doesn't have to be a lot of verbal communication back and forth. She can just guide that and lead that for her. So the birth space can sometimes be very quiet, but there's a lot of communication happening. Nonverbal. Nonverbal. Everyone's needs have been expressed. Their, their boundaries have been expressed. And that's the beauty of building a birth team that mm -hmm. is so interwoven. 
yep. so that the woman is like, okay, I can close my eyes. I can trust. I don't need to be vigilant because everybody has communicated with me and I've communicated with them about, you know, what's going to happen here and what's going to happen there. Absolutely. And music to my ears, nonverbal communication is one of the first things we teach people, you know, your day your baby is born, nonverbal. They are not speaking to you. So yeah. from my perspective, I deal with it after labor, but just the nonverbal communication day one, you really want to start with that. What effect do you find that the presence of just a doula has on birth outcomes and babies in general? Well, statistically, women who intend to not have an epidural, for example, if they have a doula, 61% of them successfully have an unmedicated birth when a doula is present. Wow. So that was a study that they did, I think it was back in 2011. So it's not super recent, but, <laughs> you know, recent enough, it's it's for me, it's striking. Probably higher now. Yeah, probably higher now. Yeah. So for me, that's striking. And wow. what I have seen, you know, as a you know, as a birth photographer in the past and, um, you know, someone that has come in mentoring other doulas when I go to births with them, I do see that just like the woman can disarm, you know, she can trust. And when she can trust, her body can relax, mm -hmm. you know, and then labor can unfold more easily when she's relaxed mm -hmm. and in surrender. And so I do see that just having that presence of someone who is kind of a fly on the wall because doulas, you know, I do talk to them about that. Like you're there, but you're not there. You, you, mm -hmm. you are supporting, but you're not the center of attention by mm -hmm. any means, you know. And yeah. so when that's there, women can really fall into their role of just laboring. Um, and so I don't see them needing as much pain relief or interventions uh, mm -hmm. because a lot of those, you know, we turn to those when we're feeling out of control, not necessarily because right. the Help pain. Right, help me now. Yeah. Yeah, it's not necessarily because the pain uh -huh. is so unbearable. If the pain was meant to break you, nature wouldn't have created it for you. Wow. So do women, I'm just curious about this, do women make a plan with you throughout their pregnancy possibly? You know, they say maybe I don't want um, the pain medication or this is what I would like to do. And then is it your job during the birth to really just remind the doctor or remind the staff and the mom? Do things sometimes just happen and you can't really control it? Well, it is something that we do during the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. We work together to really organize her preferences and get to the core of what she wants. You know, some women say, I want a birth in the hospital or I want a natural birth, but I'm going to do it in the hospital. So we kind of try to like edit that down and say, what is the hospital giving you that you can't have at a home birth mm -hmm. or a birth center? You know, and we really start to look at what's available to her and what she's choosing simply because she's scared and where is she betraying herself? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so once we get through that, then she feels really good and, you know, about her birth plan. She's on the same page as her partner. And then from there, wherever we're birthing, it's really not my responsibility or the doula's responsibility to like remind everyone right, follow through what she wrote. Yeah. It's, you know, the partner, you know, he he's the one that can typically say that. He's the family. Like in hospitals, I have in the past said, oh, you know, she did say she didn't want that. And then they look at me like, if you say one more thing, you're out of here. You're out, yeah. So it's like, okay, this is not my role. My role is to help them get there and empower them. And then it's really up to the husband, partner, right. or like the primary caregiver to to exercise this. But it's tricky with nurses in a hospital setting because, you know, one nurse looks at the birth plan and might say, this looks great. We've got you. And then another one comes on her shift and she's like, oh, here's another one with a birth plan. One of these plan. people, yeah. One of these people, <laughs> like, you know, go live in the forest kind of thing. And so <laughs> you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place, you know. So but I, I'm not going to do anything at yeah. that point. I'm just going to continue to support the mother. It seems as though you're trying to just help the mother figure out what she wants. And then it's up to them, yeah. the family, to really you know, follow through with it or... Yeah, this is an initiation process for the woman. I mean, mm -hmm. this is like nature's biggest uh, initiation for women, mm -hmm. you know, is giving birth. So we can either step into it and really participate and use this as an opportunity to go out of maiden and into mother, mm -hmm. or we can 
stay on the sidelines and kind of stay contracted and just go through the motions and not really experience that initiation and potentially experience things like postpartum depression because mm -hmm. we didn't acknowledge what we wanted. We didn't ask for what we wanted. We didn't create the conditions to get what we wanted. Mm -hmm. And then we feel, I don't know, duped afterwards. Yeah. Do people who maybe end up having a birth plan or using a doula, do they have, um, I guess, less chances of having this postpartum depression? I would say it's much less likely. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's different differences of opinion. Some people say postpartum depression is hereditary, you know, and I don't necessarily believe that. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Kelly Brogan talks about this as well. You know, she worked with women extensively in her private practice who were experiencing postpartum depression and were being told by other practitioners, this is hereditary, you know, just take this, just take this pill. Yeah. But when she got to the core of it, she realized it was a symptom. Postpartum depression was a symptom of a dysfunctional marriage and or trauma in birth, you know, and other things. Mm -hmm. So when women are actually on the same page with their partner, they're getting what they want. Even if the plans change in the birth, she still feels supported by the partner. She still feels like the team is available and doing the best they can to get her what she wants. She's less likely to feel like she was betrayed, abandoned, Makes violated. Sense. Yeah, absolutely. You have support. You know, you can get through a lot of different experiences. Yeah. So just speaking of the partner, you know, how do you suggest fathers become more involved in just this birthing process and pregnancy in general? I want to preface it by saying, Again, like this is not necessarily the natural role of yeah. the husband, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I do want to anchor that in because it, I know on Instagram it's like the man catching the baby and the twinkly lights. And this is like what it should look like. Holding and their hand and This pushing. is like the ideal mm -hmm. husband, you know. And if mine doesn't do this, he's like not great or whatever. Yeah. So I just want to say like that's that's just where we've been pushed toward. Yeah. It's not that that's like what men have traditionally done. Men have traditionally held the boundary of the, the village, for example, made sure that there's provisions mm -hmm. and like left the women to do what they know how to do. Mm -hmm. So we're not there now. Where we are is that husbands do participate. And so the best way to get involved is to take a class with the woman, mm -hmm. get on the same page, educate yourself about different preferences. You know, when we get down to newborn procedures is where I start to see the husband and the wife deviate. There are points of contention, mm. you know, around circumcision, for example, or, you know, other yeah. hot topics. And so if you have conviction about something, it's your responsibility to do your research. Say, like, why do I have conviction about this? Yeah. Is this just like a personal fear I have? Or is there actual evidence that this is better or not better? Right. So I would say really take the time to to do the research, to educate yourself, and and know that the woman typically knows what's best for her body, Yeah, you know? And so we want to trust that she, her intuition is, is guiding the family in a positive way. And do you teach this in your Uncovering Birth class? You yes. work with the spouses? And, yeah. yeah. And I do one-on-one -on -one work with men sometimes, too, so they can contact me and just we can do a 90-minute session and kind of right. <laughs> get right. things organized. Right. Um, and so, yeah. Give them some help. Yeah. yeah. You can't yeah. expect – look, you can't really expect the partner to know – no. what to do. You know, they kind of are told, again, Instagram TV shows, hold their hand, squeeze it, you know, have them kill your hand because they're squeezing so hard and like say push. Yeah. And then I, and I just want to say like, this is like a kind of a bigger topic, but when you go into a hospital setting, for example, like women, the woman's body is kind of like served up to the staff. Like they are there to do what they need to do. And there's, you know, a male doctor touching your wife, like examining your wife. Like it actually creates like a dimensionality that men don't really feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that until they go through the process and they're like, oh, why didn't we have a female doctor? Like, so there's a lot of things to consider in the pregnancy that, yeah. you know, you have preferences, preferences to as a man. Mm -hmm. And what are they? 
you know, and voice them because it's a really important initiation for both the man and the woman. Absolutely. So a lot of moms just in our Tata community really have written in questions. So I want to kind of throw a few questions at you. Is there such thing as tearing prevention in labor? Is there anything that you really talk to the parents about just to prevent that? Yeah, absolutely. So you can do perineal massage with an oil of your choice. I would say jojoba oil is probably the best, unscented. And, Mm -hmm. you know, doing that a few times a week uh, with your partner or on yourself, or there are prenatal massage therapists, females that will do that. When do you start that? I would say like in the second, like end of second trimester is a good time to start resting in a squat. So I do teach this in my class. So rather than sitting in a chair all day, like you either sit on a yoga ball or you will just lean against the wall and slide down and just rest in a squat, get your computer in front of you and just rest in a squat for 10 minutes while you're doing something or you're on the phone or whatever it is. And that adds elasticity to the perineum. And so when we have that elasticity, we're less likely to tear. And also the position in which you give birth. If you're lying on your back, which is pretty classic and what we see on TV, you're going to exert more force and you're working against gravity. So you're more likely to tear. So So what's the ideal position? The ideal position is either sitting up on the bed, in a squat, standing up, or on all fours. However, if you're on an epidural, you're most likely on your back. And so that's why a lot of women do end up tearing with the epidural. And also, you know, when you're on an epidural, you don't feel the urge to push. So you're actually pushing way harder Mm -hmm. on an epidural than you need to be. And you're pushing from here. And for those who aren't on video, you know, their head, their neck, rather than just Yeah. And so when when you don't, when you have all the sensation, there are all these nuances and how to push and how to prevent tearing and kind of slow it down and then give more and then give less. And so you're much less likely to tear. Wow. And then what about C-section prevention? Oh, okay. That's the, <laughs> that's the whole masterclass. I will say the most common segue into a C-section is getting an epidural. Epidurals and Pitocin are the most common reasons that women go into C-section, typically because the epidural you know, has fentanyl and lidocaine in it. So it does cause distress to the baby's heart. And so when we see that distress in the baby's heart, we go into an emergency C-section, right? When a woman gets induced because she's a few days past her due date or they estimate that the baby might be too big or they say, you know, you're older than 36, like we need to get the baby out. It's like, what? <laughs> so then they'll wow. they'll schedule an induction and, you know, that's a pretty severe drug. Pitocin is really intense and it can cause hemorrhaging. It can cause the baby's uh, heart rate to escalate. And so then what happens? The woman goes into an emergency C-section. So. Wow. A lot of the C-sections we hear about, we assume that it's because birth is dangerous. That's why so many women are having C-sections. But really, it's because women are receiving interventions that are completely unnatural and getting in the way of the natural process. And you mentioned, obviously, these different laboring positions. Um, Is there an ideal, like, top one? Or it's really just depending on the child and It depends on the woman and the child. Like, Mm -hmm. I've seen women who are like, oh, I want to give birth in the tub, you know, with candles and, you know, they're laboring in there and they really like want that. And then they get out of the tub and I see them kind of like crawl or walk slowly into their bed and like they get on all fours and then like baby comes right out. Wow. So sometimes what we think like our body's going to want or it's going to do is not what happens. And so the beauty of being in full sensation is that your body is just leading you and all you have to do is let it do what it needs to do. Listen to your body. Yeah. Absolutely. And then um, one more question for you is just how to prepare for labor at 36 plus weeks. You know, you're at that last month. What can moms or just parents in general really do at home to prepare? 
I would say a lot of practices that keep your nervous system regulated. So like getting prenatal massage, doing really gentle breath work videos on YouTube, mm -hmm. listening to positive birth stories, right? Like if you've been, you know, I agree. lunch with your friends and, you know, talking to people and going on Facebook and you're just seeing things that don't feel good, like turn those channels off, mm -hmm. you know, and just surround yourself with positive. I have a bunch of positive birth stories on my website. Clients always send them in to me with photos. And so they're listed on my site and just read through that mm -hmm. and start to get into that space that you're trusting this process. That's right. really the best thing to do. Positivity. Positivity. And when you're in those last few weeks, create a postpartum plan. So a lot of women get hyper-focused on the birth mm -hmm. and then they're like, well, I have some family around. Like, I'll be fine. What do I need to do? But it's like, no, what really, what do those first two months look like? Mm -hmm. Is there someone who's going to help clean the house? Do you have support from, you know, a sister yeah. or a friend or whatever it is, you know, and then, you know, who's doing the food and yeah. all that stuff, division of labor. Yeah. So that really helps you ease into this new period with the baby and not feel like, wait a minute, who's taking care of that? Wait, right. You know, so. I know my sister, so she just had a baby um, mm. and Will is one month old now, but when she was about 35, 36 weeks, we wrote a notepad on our phones and I shared it with my family and then her in-laws family. And basically she has two other kids. Yeah. So it was just her like quote unquote birth plan was, you know, Andy to call me Tata. Tata will pick up Sloan from school. Um, Summer will go with this person. So we kind of wrote it out. So at least my sister, I mean, look, we barely followed it in the sure. end, but it gave her that kind of mindset of like, okay, my other two are going to be fine. I could be here yeah. in the process. She was able to be present yeah. because the other ones were taken care of and at least everyone knew where they could step in, mm -hmm. you know? Right. You have a dog, you have a child. It's like taking care of yeah. the other one. Yeah. And the solution is not to get a night nurse. That's not the solution. It's yeah. not to have someone come in and take care of your child for you. It's to get the support that you need so that you can just relax and learn your baby. Absolutely. So where can our listeners find you, learn about your Uncovering Birth program, promote it all right now? We'd love to hear this. Yeah, of course. So my website is alacuenca.com and we also have uncoveringbirth.com. So there are a bunch of offerings there. There's the birth masterclass, which is for pregnant couples. It's for doulas. It's for anybody who wants to learn about birth and really get that profound education. Um, there's a breastfeeding mini course. So if you want to do like a 90 minute kind of crash course in breastfeeding, wow. understanding it, how to get the outcomes you want. We have that. We have the doula training. I'm on Instagram quite a bit, so I do engage with people there. And, and what's your Instagram? It's Cuenca Birth. Birth. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And we will post all of that in our bio so that everyone can see it. Thank you so much for coming on. I learned a lot. I think our listeners are going to learn a lot. Just my whole perspective on everything you said is just communication from beginning to end. Just communicate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Identify your needs and then learn how to communicate them. And this could be the beginning of how you learn to effectively communicate with your children is learning to effectively communicate in your pregnancy and Love with that. your partner and with your birth team. That is going to be the quote of the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to visit Talking With Tata on Instagram and on Facebook.